Hello everyone, this is Scott McNamara with What's New in Adapted Physical Education, bringing you another exciting episode. So today uh, is another longer duration one. The last two have been longer in duration. I think they've been very successful with good information, and I, I hope the audio is starting to get better and better as well. Um, this new episode uh, is about NAPAC. Uh, we did another panel at NAPAC. The last one I did was my keynote and that panel on inclusion and the state of APE. And this panel is on NAPAC as an association, as a conference. Um, there's also the leadership scape. The panelists on this episode are excellent people that have a lot of experience with NAPAC and the leadership scape. And uh, we'll be introducing them in a moment. And we kind of discussed the history of NAPAC as a conference. It's the 47th year. And we discussed where it was, where it uh, is now, and where it's going. Um, we discussed some of the major changes in it and kind of their experiences. And if you wait till the very end, there's also about 10 to 15 minutes of audience questions as well. I hope you enjoy. I'm going to uh, kind of get started, even though I know Dr. LeVay will be back in a second. We had a, a one go a little longer. And um, so I'm Dr. Scott McNamara at the yeah. University of Northern Iowa. Um, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, NAPEC and uh, our history and kind of where we're going. I'm just kind of moderating this, and uh, it's going to be on the podcast for what's new in adaptive physical education as well. And um, this is, uh, we got an all-star panel, um, which I'll introduce in, in one second. And it, I, this is something that I've been talking about, not just with NAPAC, but like kind of the history of who we are as a profession a little bit in the last two years. And I've just been having these conversations with people during the, my podcast a lot of that we don't have a very good history of who we are and where we're from. And um, it's something that, you know, I think an oral history is good, but it's something that we need to work on. And so I think this is why this session was somewhat developed and why we felt like it is. And we wanted to start with talking about one of these great state organizations that we have um, and kind of understand where it is that we're from before we start losing that history at some point if we haven't already. So with that, um, like I said, I'm Dr. Scott McNamara. And I'll have you all introduce yourself so I don't get anything wrong. Good morning. I'm Dr. Joni Vertiber, and I'm now retired, 40 years educator, all with the Los Angeles County Office of Education. And I've been really involved in this conference um, as a graduate student all the way till now. I'm Kathy Russell. I'm also an uh, administrator for um, uh, Los Angeles County Office of Education, and I served as the uh, state council uh, chairperson. I'm Marcy Pope. I've been teaching for 26 years, adapted physical education. Currently, I teach at California State University, Chico, and I was also a uh, chairperson for the state council on adapted physical education. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Barry LeVay. I'm a professor at Cal State University Long Beach. I've been there since 1988. I've uh, been coming to the conference since 1984, and um, really uh, looking forward to our podcast. My first question is why? Why is this worth knowing? We're, you know, we're in 2018. We're teaching. We're working with kids every day, and it, like, I... 
I'm passionate about it. I'm just trying to be devil's advocate with it. But I'd love to answer it, that. Why is it important for us okay. to know the origins of NAPAC and the history of it? Well, if any of you remember your high school experiences in history, what do they say about history? We need to study history in order to learn from those events so that we don't go back and make the same mistakes or we do move forward and repeat that which is successful. So that is the why, is because historical information really can help guide us into what we're going to be doing now and in the future. Anyone want to add? I just think that that sums it up. That's you know, the other reasons why I even talk about this is that the impact that this conference has had on our profession. I think that's what's uh, real important. We'll just get close to it. Yeah. One more, one more thing that's kind of interesting is, is that this, is, this conference is uh, 47 years. And so taking a look at how do we do that when most, most things phase out, I think is important. All right, so let's talk then about the origins. Where, when and where did this happen? How did it happen? I, uh, I'm always really curious by like how you all started. I'm in Iowa. I was in Texas. I was in Michigan. Um, there's varying level of APE organizations like this, but you all, 47 years, and how, how and when did this happen? So going back historically, we all remember IDEA, PL 94142, 1975. But the movement was happening before 1975. And there were a group of people at county offices of education and at universities and large school districts that really came together and they created a, a coalition. Their, their actual name was, Kathy will look it up. And so <laughs> there's this group of people and they started meeting together. Now, if you remember, adaptive physical education used to be called remedial physical education, and we were all on the medical model. Do you remember that? And they also brought together physicians. And we're now looking at the needs of students with disabilities, or as the time was called, handicapped students. And so this was called the alliance. And we have some um, things that we can print out. But one of the people on this alliance was Dr. Jack Keough, and he was my university professor at UCLA. And so I was really very fortunate um, to be a part of his program, and if you remember, the Bureau of Education for the Handicapped. So that whole drive and push um, brought this group of people together, and they realized the importance of having professional development for teachers who were teaching students with disabilities. And so that was the origin and the purpose and to really make an alliance, to bring together a variety of disciplines. All right, so what were the first few years of the conference like? What was your focus? Who was coming? What, once you got it running and started, who was coming and what was the focus? There were a lot of classroom teachers, those teachers who were working um, in the area of remedial physical education came, uh, students from all over, that the goal was to make this a national conference. 
national because they would bring people like Ernst Kiepart from Germany over. And we had people coming from lots of different countries and throughout the nation um, of the United States. So hence it was then looking at as a national. We looked at physical activity across the lifespan. That no longer is what we're doing right now with this conference because it's adapted physical education, but we really even focused in on adults. So it was birth to death, basically. And it was all of the different areas, the OT and the PT and the medical model and the conditions of disabilities and psychomotor and perceptual motor and um, sensory integration and all of those different topics, everything was um, coming together. So it was really multidisciplinary. And those were the, the people who came. And the year before, we haven't done that since, but the year before the enactment, enactment of PL 94142 in 1975, in 1974, how many of you were on the Queen Mary with a thousand participants? There we go. Right. L.A. County Office of Education, Kathy Russell, Kimball Morton. So, yes, there, there were thousands. You couldn't even get into Jack, Dr. Jack Craddy's session. So it, we were all just in the hallways and whatnot, and I was a graduate student at UCLA. And if anything hooked me into adapted physical education, it was that conference that year. I think one thing I would add is that, you know, from that perspective... Oh, Kathy Frank is that, um, you know, we were trying to figure it out. What, 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 what is adapted physical education? You know what I mean? Like a, a lot of people don't realize, like Joni was talking about, corrective, remedial, therapy-based. You know, we're moving to education. People are hungry, like, for ideas. Um, there aren't a lot of conferences going on. You know, this was a, a truly a national conference where we're bringing people from other countries, from all over the United States, and, and there wasn't a lot of, uh, like we said, information, and people are hungry to, and we're, it's an exciting time because we're tr just trying to figure out the profession, and as we go. And that's why we were, there was this uh, multidisciplinary where all these other groups would be coming in, and, um, you know, as, as the years have evolved, you know, in some ways we've become very specialists, you know, in, in lot, you know, we almost become silos and um, that's good and bad. I mean, obviously we're, we're advancing as a profession, but that idea of collaborating sometimes is you become so specialized that you, you forget the big picture. And so I, I, it was just an exciting time then, just you're, you're figuring it out on as you go. And, and so people are coming to the conference and, and there's these like trends going on like if you really look at um on the website and look at the history and what is the title of each year you, you almost can kind of see a trend and okay now we're going to be talking about community-based instruction or now we're going to be talking about this and whatever happening that's um uh, you would see that kind of, that theme for that year the, the first conference, uh, to give you some perspective, was called Techniques and Methods for Handicapped Children and Youth. It wasn't even called exceptional, uh, the Exceptional Conference for uh, Individuals until later. It was originally all about the methods and techniques. And in the scape 
or actually in the CAFERD archives now that houses our SCAPE archives, are the programs and the syllabus. And they were very detailed, very um, uh, evidence-based, research-based as to how you work with these students. So that's really where the first conference kind of came from. The first conference was really spearheaded by uh, G. Robert Royce, or we call him Bob Royce, and I want to make a correction. This is Kathy Omoto over here, who has always been involved um, when she was with the LA County Office of Education many times afterwards. Kathy Russell is to my left. They're both great professionals, so I apologize. Yeah, I didn't make the 75. <laughs> she didn't make, yeah, she was still a baby. Um, so... Um, but <laughs> I was born. the Los Angeles County Office of Education was one of the primary leaders. And what they tried to do was a north-south type of a uh, shift. And they would come up to the Santa Clara County Office of Education. But that didn't happen for very long. Um, and LA County Office of Education had always really been involved in this conference. So if you came to the early ones in the LA Marriott and you're close to the airport there. We had that a lot. And Dr. Robert Campbell, if you remember Bob sure. Campbell, um, was really served, I don't know, at least six times as program chair and, and worked with me um, on the conference itself. But what's important to know is that county offices of education, school districts, the universities all coming together. But there came a point where we really had to now come and join in with a professional organization um, because the, the funds that are being generated cannot just go to one county office or another county office or a school district. That got to be too complicated. So instead, um, a, an agreement was struck with the California Association for Health, Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance, and that's why now it is a capered event and so that how it came together. So all right, I'm going to go back to something that you talked about, like when I first asked you what those first years were like. You were talking about those big changes, how we kind of went from um, this multidisciplinary to silos, as well as you talked about medical to social. Those have big, been big changes in our, our field in the last 40 years. And I just kind of want to know, like, when and, and how did that happen? Was it something that was discussed or did it just kind of occur, um, those changes, and, and maybe when, or was there something that prompted it, or was it organic? The federal legislation is really what started to make the changes and the implementation uh, of the law. So in the beginning, we had medical, and you're gonna laugh, admission and dismissal committees. It was a doctor who sat on this meeting, with, in this meeting with the administrators when I was working for LA County, and I'd have to do justification and the nature of the disability and why this child would need adaptive physical education, remedial is what it was called at that time, and then the doctor would either admit or dismiss the student. Well, with PL 94142 coming in and all the inflammation, it then shifted to the parents' parental rights and whatnot, and everything changed. So now we had to really get into formalized assessments mm -hmm. and IEP meetings, and as an IEP team decision, it's no longer this little committee that sits over here off to the side. But then it became more of 
uh, the committee decision. So the law is really what changed us. Right. The law really drove everything. And I think one thing that's still even to this day sometimes overlooked is you look in the law and you look at the definition of physical education and it's it's just good physical education. You know, adaptive P, like we we're talking about, is good physical education. But you, you look at that definition in, in 94-142 and so now we're really going educational based. And the point that Joni's making making about, okay, now we've got to develop some assessment tools, you know, and, and how are we going to do that? And, and, you know, for some people it's hard to believe that a doctor would decide whether the child was in or out of remedial PE, and now these decisions are being driven by the law. So that really drove everything, and we really started to become educationally based because of and a person that just recently passed away, Dave Oxter, who for many years was a professor at Slippery Rock, he was a real driving force with the government and with IDEA and making sure that physical education was a direct service and was defined in physical education. And I think sometimes he doesn't get his, his due, but that really changed uh, things for us. And we're, st we're still, we're right then, now we're trying to find our way, you know? Okay, now we're educationally based, and what kind of assessment tools do we have, you know? Absolutely. And I think, yeah, we are still learning our ways. Um, all right, so then you talked about how you operate with CAFERD, and I think what makes you really, really unique is that you have that state council, you have a leadership here, and you have people that are dedicated to the field at, you know, at all these various levels at the state level, and you're continuously getting new blood and new people in there. I think that's so. Talk to me a little bit more about SCAPE. What it may, like, where did it come from, and so, how is it unique? So, I'll do the historical beginnings, and then I'm going to pass it off to those who are currently on SCAPE because it's been many years since I was the chair and a member. So I told you that there was a sum of money, right? And we've got different organizations that are being involved. And now we had an agreement in the late 70s that was established with Capert. And so we move now from the alliance because there's still this group. And so instead of being just an alliance and you're moving into Capert itself, we now have the establishment of the State Council on Adapted Physical Education, which is SCAPE. And so it moved from that alliance, and then it just began to expand and to grow. And instead of just being administrators and university professors and people at county offices, we started to pull in practitioners, teachers. And so there's lots of different representation of different areas of job responsibilities that are on the state council. But by being in this nonprofit organization, this council then had the ability to, to run financially and to use monies to bring people together for meetings and to work on a variety of different large projects, which I'll talk about later. But it was, it was money that drove them to bring this to our state organization because the need for professional development was, as is today, critically important. So back in about, I think it was the 10th conference was when the shift moved over to CAFERD and, and to SCAPE uh, when I did some archive looking. Um, 
the council is made up of teachers from, and initially from various reason, regions, the northern part of the uh, state, the middle, and the southern. Uh, it has teacher reps, it has an administrative rep, it has um, university reps, um, it had a community college rep at one time, um, it had members at large, secretaries, parliamentarian, I know Kathy Amoto can probably recall them all the positions. Um, and, and over the years, that those memberships have, have morphed based on the need of the council, based on who we could get to get on the council so that we could continue doing the work that Joni was talking about. Uh, one, of the, one of the big things that, that they did do was publish the guidelines for the adapted PE um, uh, schools. There is, I'm sorry, the guidelines for the adapted physical education in public schools. Um, they also revised it. So we have uh, taken on certain projects. Um, we've done position papers. We've done supports for CAFERD. All those things have been part of the council as well as putting on and supporting this conference. Uh, it's a nice opportunity for teachers from all over the state to get together so you get a, a flavoring of, of stakeholders uh, and, and involvement so that it's not just one you know, teacher-run program. So that's what's kind of unique about our, our council. I came on to the state, this is Marcy, I came on to the state council, um, I don't even know, quite a few years ago as a university rep, and uh, I just know how much I learn from all the different folks that are sitting on that council, from all the different uh, districts, and some counties, and northern, and southern, and central, and uh, it is because of that makeup that I think we can stay strong and um, be able to answer questions that come to us. It was that kind of information that helped us make the guidelines be able to be um, valued and recognized statewide because we all run things so differently. So through that information uh, from those members on the state council. It, I, I, it, I just got a question about, so I'm just kind of thinking through this and like, I, you know, I, I know that you created state guidelines and you're making all these things. And I'm sure that you get, we work a lot in gray areas as the practitioners, right? And I'm sure you get difficult questions to ask mm -hmm. or, or to answer. And so how does the state uh, council kind of take those things that maybe there's maybe mm -hmm. a hard answer? How do you kind of come up with those answers as, as a council? Well, I'll start that, yes, we get those kind of questions. Right now we have a, um, a Gmail that questions can come through, but they also come to us through uh, at universities. We get lots of questions, and so we'll, I'll bring that back to the state council, and we all sit there together and discuss what that can be. We refer back to the guidelines, the adapted PE guidelines, because it has uh, legal references mm -hmm. so that we can create what that uh, uh, answer within the gray, <laughs> but still recognize that a district has its own um, regulations and, and ideas that it needs to follow as well. So we recognize that things are gray, but we try to provide as much clarification through that. One, one thing that, that I think is unique is in our field, we're, we're often 
you know, nomadic by trade, we're by ourselves, we don't have the support. If you're the only adapted PE teacher in the district, you may not have a resource. And so the state council provides that resource for you, professional development, being able to help you answer questions, being able to talk to any one of us on the council and call up as a resource if you don't know people in your neighboring districts who are adapted PE. Now, Marcy, you guys have the North uh, cons Consortium? Yeah. There's a few different adapted physical education consortiums throughout the state, and it's not like they're anything through CAPERD. It was just a group of lone adapted PE teachers who found each other. and. Northern California has one. The Bay Area has one. Central California, I think they might call themselves, has one. And I, we do have one in Southern Cal that's kind of popped itself up here on on Facebook. So yes, so we're we're excited to have that one too. So these are just ways of having support. But the council is is available when you have questions. Um, we've answered questions about caseload. We've we've referred back to the guidelines, and all those different areas. Um, what I would share about you know the the power of the state council is there are a lot of AP teachers that feel isolated out there. You know, they may be the only AP teacher and they have a special ed director that doesn't really understand them and, and they can not only attend this conference but, but basically seek out information from the state, you know, council. Um, one of the things I was struck by as someone who came to the state like in the mid-80s, um, I'd been involved in leadership roles in other states and um, Usually it was really run by professors, you know, higher ed people. And one of the things I right away noticed is that the representation, you had representation from the south, from the north, you had teachers, you had uh, administrators, you had higher ed people. And so you're getting uh, practitioners involved. And I thought that has been really critical to the, uh, to the longevity uh, of um, the program. I, I think that was a really critical uh, thing that the state council did is the way they've they've made it up, and because if you look at a lot of other states, it's usually a couple of higher ed uh, professors that are sort of running the show, and and uh, not so with the with the state council. And the other thing is um, you rotate on and off, and so it's usually a three year cycle, and so you don't have somebody that's you know, on there for life or whatever, and so you're getting constantly new blood. Although there are some people that feel like they're on there for life, right? Uh, some of us get recycled. Like, right, but I was, you know, because people get recycled. But, but what I was struck by when I became uh, chair of the state council was I was really surprised how many times we'd get letters from people like what we're talking about right now. They have this issue, they have this problem, or my administrator is saying this, and we would you know, they were coming to us and here's a, a voice of, uh, you know, expertise that can share in writing a letter or whatever. And, you know, personally myself too, when I've used the state council, I says, you know, we could really use a letter of support from you as well uh, when we have an issue. So going along with that whole idea of the support, we would have somebody at the State Department, California Department of Education, who would field some different types of questions. And we had a really strong liaison. And for years, we had someone from the State Department be with it, Jules Spaziri. Thank you, Kathy, Spaziri. And so he was a part of the council, and we worked together. Now, what's really critical, and if other people are from other states are listening, is if you have a group of people associated with your state association, 
you really carry a lot more credibility and when you're trying to make those connections. So yeah, we had some different letters from um, the Department of Education and from special education and about remedial physical education and quote unquote what guidelines are. But the state guidelines for adapted physical education for grades K through 12 did not originate with the council. We were invited by the California Department of Education to identify a group of people to work on those guidelines. And so this came from our State Department of Ed. And it was fabulous, and I was fortunate enough to be one of the people working on that committee and writing those guidelines. And it, it was quite a, a two-year project. It, it was a lot. And we were hand-in-hand hand with our representative. So if indeed something's going to happen in your state, if you have a group of people who are a representative of your state organization, you really do have more credibility. And that's, I think, what was so critical about this conference and that alliance being moved to our CAPERD organization. The, the other piece is, is that the guidelines are posted on our state council website. So if you are in need of it, I think a lot of people don't realize that. That's a great resource to pull offline for you. Okay, so going back to the conference, um, I want to know kind of, so it's been around for almost 50 years, we're at 47 years, and so how has it changed? How, what are the major changes? How are, and I really would like to focus a little bit on how the topics of focus, if we, this is inclusion right now, we were talking about inclusion 30 years ago, how are we, how, how are we evolving and how are we changing and how is, talk to me. Sorry. Again, uh, legislation uh, would drive a lot of it and then you get to parental rights and you know IEPs and you have advocates for parents and so you know that kind of did a, a focus. We had the whole issue with occupational therapy, physical therapy, adapted physical education. How do you get those services? You know, what quote unquote qualifies uh, a student or identifies the need? And we had a time of all of that. We had different theoretical aspects with um, perceptual motor, sensory integration, all of those different theories that would drive different themes of the conference. Is a combination of things. It's what is critical right now in the field. And inclusion, this isn't the first year that we've looked at inclusion on this conference. It's not. Mm -hmm. Okay, so because inclusion's been a hot topic for at least, right. what, 30 years? Right. Terry? A long time. But, <laughs> so, but, you know, really a long time. So we've had different types of um, aspects for inclusion, and it, it's just, and then what the needs are, and then what is driving education for general population. So then you have standards and you have uh, standards-based education and, and then the different types of assessments and you know what is critical for students as far as vocational. And so what's happening in general education, the law and what's happening in special education, all of those things affect. Right. I mean, I, you've all heard it before, right? The only constant in education is change. And so as things are changing, that identifies what our focus is. 
one other thing that a lot of people don't always realize is is that it's sometimes it's not uh, what's going on with legislation. You know, basically you'll have a committee that's going to put the conference on. They'll come up with a theme, and maybe they come up with something that they feel is important. But for example, this year we're looking at inclusion, and somebody would say, okay, we've been doing that for 30 years. Why are we looking at inclusion now? Well, because there's this real push in, in California, because we have all these specialists all over the United States. Most people do inclusion out of need because they don't have AP you know, specialists or uh, people with this added authorization. But there's been this really push over the last five years where really a lot more AP teachers are, are you know, collaborating with that general P uh, teacher to to do inclusion, and um, because for years we, you know, basically it was okay. You work, in, you know, even though it's supposed to be the least restrictive environment, you you work with your kids with disabilities as an AP teacher, and uh, that's no longer you know acceptable. So so sometimes it's just as simple as the the committee that's putting on the conference, and it's supposed to, you know, it varies, but. The original intent was one year it's up north, one year it's down south or in the central area. You know, some people would say, well, it would be a lot better to just always have it by uh, Los Angeles Airport because everybody can fly in. But what about having it in central California so those people that live in that area, they can invite administrators to come and see, hey, this is what quality adaptive PE looks like. Come to our conference. Absolutely. And I'm going to keep going just because of time. But I, And I want to hit this point because I – like to hit controversial points. Yeah. So I know the name changed back in 2006. Yeah. So I want to hear a little bit about um, when and why did that happen, uh, and if you can talk us through that that process. <laughs> You're looking at someone who did not advocate for the change, um, because again, it was physical activity for the exceptional individual, and the whole premise was like birth to death. And yet what happened was the state council heard from a number of teachers that said, well, this isn't specific enough to my profession for my administrator to allow me to come to this conference. We're about adapted physical education K-12. And so, hence, then that's when the shift was made. Um, so that then has really impacted the types of sessions that you're going to be seeing here. But also with that, you know, it, at one time it was even, in fact, here in San Diego at the university um, that they had an adult program. Uh, Dr. Pete Offsesser had that. And so he would do lots of different sessions, and, and it was about the older adult, or, and as Dr. Terry Rizzo always says, given age, all of us will experience a disability. So it, it's true that as we get older, we will all become individuals with uh, a disability. And so that focus then has been dropped from this conference and it's more adapted physical education. We do have community college and they will have some older adults so that would be um, still a little bit in that realm but I'm not sure we have a community college person right. on the council anymore. No, a lot of the community college programs uh, in adapted PE have not been funded and so we've found it very difficult to find a, a community college rep, we're, we're always willing to take somebody if anybody knows anybody out there. 
philosophically, I, I, you know, feel, and there's a lot of us who feel that it should be, still be adapted physical activity, because that's the umbrella term. It's more inclusive. You're going to bring more, you know, group, groups of people in, uh, you know, and, and my, uh, thinking is too is that okay these administrators are saying to their teachers we won't fund you to go to this uh, conference and they're kind of driving this decision to call it adapted physical education in in my mind it's it's our profession and adapted physical activity is an umbrella term and it's uh, the one that we should be using but you know that's one voice or a couple of voices and so fine you know um, and adapted physical education is is fine, but I, I think that in, in a lot of ways, sometimes we become so specialized and we don't always see the big picture. And you know, we really talk about collaboration and how important it is, and people are collaborating. But when you get so specialized that um, you can't really relate to what other people are doing, that that can become a scary thing. So he was talking. He said. My, philo yeah, my yeah. philosophy on this. So, uh, feasible, uh, the, is it feasible? Has it been beneficial, do you think, for the conference, for the change in the name and such, and the focus? I'm not sure that it has, um, but it's hard to say because beneficial for many people right. means financial outcome, uh, whether or not you're able to sustain the group. And when you have an economic decline, you're going to have less people coming to the conference. All I can say is I remember those early years, a thousand people on the Queen Mary in 1974. And I came to work for LA County Office of Education in 1975. And we would have like 700 people. And that's, that's a lot. That was before the adapted physical education credential came in, which was another big project that we worked on with the state council. Um, so before that ever happened, you had 700 people. And at this conference, I think we have about 450. So we've had as few as 200 to 450, but again, budgets and money and funding. But I do see a difference in the types of sessions. They, they are more specific, K-12 and physical, adapted physical education. And, and part of that, too, is that over the last 40 years, you have a lot more conferences going on and adapted. You know, you've got the consortium that has a, a conference every summer. You have NAFAPA every other year. You have the International Federation. You have a few states that have their own conferences. I mean, so, you know, in the beginning, this was the only conference, you know. And so uh, that certainly is having an impact yeah. on it. Uh, if if people come and people learn, then when you ask, is it beneficial? You know, statistically we don't know that, but but the point is, if people come and they learn and they grow and it affects change in children with disabilities, then it's beneficial. And I, for me personally, I think that there are a lot of AP teachers out there that still feel isolated, and for them to come to this conference and realize, hey, I'm with my people. You know, I'm I'm in my tribe. You know, that's a very important thing. That's a very powerful thing that sometimes you can't measure. You know. True. All right, so I want to know now kind of how do you feel in this 47 years of the conference? What is the conferences and the uh, council's major impact on the field of APE in general? Well, I 
think the major impact is that this conference allows the council to do its work because again it's financial funding yes. so that is what you know the, the first important thing is the professional development for the teachers the practitioners that's like number one that's the most important thing the second thing is that it provides the funding for the council to do its work and not just the council but also it some funds were used to bring the university professors together for them to identify the um, standards for the the students for the professional development is this what we call it right. it's not is it professional development for the students right. or yeah. what's the exact term Barry well we, we basically uh, every program that has an adapted added authorization has to have uh, certain standards that they have to meet and for program review so I'll jump in here so, so basically I, I can't reinforce enough what Joni's saying about money so when people like Terry and I first came to the state in, in the 80s, um, there was an adapted PE credential, but uh, CTC, Council of Teacher Credentialing, California T Teacher Credentialing, didn't really, um, a, a program could say, yeah, I have an AP endorsement. And we sat down as a group and we met with at Cal Poly Pomona over a number of sessions and developed the first um, standards that every program now they had to show how their program is meeting these standards and it was people like Jan Seaman, per Perky Vetter uh, was really instrumental because she would always host these and she was very good at being political and being that pipeline with uh, CTC and talking to them and Terry and I were at one time, believe it or not, we were young and we were like <laughs> young faculty members. And so we got in this room. And the first time we wrote to the um, standards, we wrote like 36 standards that had to be met. And after we were done looking at that, we, we would kind of say, maybe we shot ourselves in the foot. That's a lot of standards and whatever. And uh, then in the 80s, um, CTC came to us again and said, we want to make you an, an AP added authorization and because you're an add-on to, you know, single subject or multiple subject or, or special ed. And so we went to, we sat down again and, and wrote 13 standards. I, I think what's important is what's, what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of people think CTC has all this money and every time they would come to us, they'd say, do this but we don't have any money to support that. Well, how do we get everybody together? How do we put even the guidelines? State Council on Adaptive Peak, we printed that. Everybody thinks that the you know the CTC printed that, but no, the, sta the State Council printed that. I, I, I happened to be chair of the State Council at the time, and I was kind of shocked when CTC said, well, we don't have any money. These guidelines are great. And so we voted, okay, so there's money to do these things. And so I, I think that's a, a critical, critical thing, you know, and, and something I would share with other states. You need, you know, money to, to do things. I, I'd like to say that when, we, when we're thinking about what the impact is of this conference, one of my first memories of attending it was my university professor saying, this is what's going to keep you professionally strong. And I think that's something that we've always strived for for our uh, attendees is a conference that was reasonably priced, 
that wasn't so out of the ballpark that you couldn't do it on, on your dime if the district didn't, uh, so that they could be professionally strong and deal with best practices and, and ways of support. So um, for me, I think that, yes, the, the major impact on the profession is I would go back to my classrooms feeling energized from the sessions, right. from the people that I had talked to and networked with. I'd be ready, and I would have forgotten an activity that maybe I hadn't tried before, and it's like, oh, I, I remembered this because I went to the sessions. So it always kind of re-energized me for the year to come to this uh, conference and, and connect with people and develop those relationships that um, I now have all over the state that I would not have had had I not been attending. I'd like to add something to what Barry said, and I think Marcy wants to add something. It's really quickly, is that if you have an organization, a group of people, and you're attached to your state organization, be it called shape whatever of your state or, you know, capered, apered, whatever is your name and you're associated. And as he was talking about the Commission on Teacher Credentialing coming to us, well, if some states, I understand there are only 12, perhaps out of the 50 have the authorization. And I know IDEA needs to be reauthorized and looking it down the road. And if you are working in your state to get an authorization to teach adapted physical education, if you had an organization, again, that credibility, but there's going to be a group of people to work. Because when I was the state chair, the credential had just been enacted. So now you have all of these people who have been teaching remedial adapted physical education, right? So they want to be grandfathered in. And so they had, we had appeal. And so here I'm going up to CTC and presenting our plan to have these appeals. And we put together a committee of an administrator, of an adapted physical education teacher, and um, a university professor. And we sat down with each person and looked at their experience and what they had done and said, well, you're missing this, or you're missing that, or yes, we feel you could be quote-unquote grandfathered. If any other state is thinking of having some type of an authorization come through, you'd better have identified somebody to work together to help them get this on the ground and going, because we had that structure. And without that structure and that support, you really cannot make the change. Next question is we've talked now about the conference and the uh, history of it um, and like what is the future of NAPAC and I kind of want to start with that one because I've through some of our oh I'll let no, Kathy start yes. because she's got to go and then I want to chime in about it too. Uh, so the the vision for the future um, we've seen over the years different trends that they've talked about different hot topics that we've talked about uh, come up. We're getting ready for the 50th uh, conference, which will be an anniversary conference somewhere here in the Los Angeles area. Um, we're really looking at uh, where where this field's going. Um, I know a lot of teachers are concerned about uh, inclusion and what that means to them with school districts uh, pushing kids into those classes. Uh, I think it's an uh, opportunity to kind of look at how we can collaborate with those pieces. I think this conference was very timely, uh, this one, uh, particularly about the inclusion. 
Um, but I think over the next few years, we're going to see with local uh, funding that the districts have and, and having the control over that, where they are envisioning um, what we will be doing is going. And so we have to be strong and advocate for our students because there really is a continuum of services. And inclusion, while wonderful, is not for every student. And I think that we need to make sure that we continue um, fighting the fight so that we have a variety of service models available for these students. So I'm hoping that, that the future conferences continues to take a look at that piece because I think it's critical for our profession and our specialty. Yeah, uh, and so something I wanted to bring up because I feel like it's been brought up a few times as well as I've been on this a little bit about how NAPAC and SCAPE can be uh, leaders at the national level as well. And you all are have done such a good job for so long and there's not many like you. And I would really like to see you all kind of start working with other states. I'm in one of those 45 you know, give or take states that have very, very little, we have very little leadership, and I really would love to see you all take a, that big leadership approach and really consult with some of us and tell us how we can do it to even just, you know, to, to give us some guidance. Um, that's what I would really like to see with uh, your leadership and such. This has happened already. So North Carolina and Jim Rich came to our conference. So we invite you to come and to meet us, and, and then any of us would be happy to sit down and, and work with you. But I, I think what's important is that we really get the information out to the different states that this conference exists, and different leaders that are out in the different states that they come, and, and perhaps we can have some type of a session uh, for out-of-state folk who are looking to uh, start something in their state. I will say that from the state council perspective and as we uh, help the, the conference uh, directors uh, figure out how to get more people to each conference, it's become more of a priority of reaching out to these other states. We were, you know, able to stay sustained for so long and now you're right, it's time for us to reach out. It's become more of a priority and it's a discussion at every meeting. But as far as staying strong, I'm going to remind you that the state council has up to 17 members when it has everybody in attendance. It's a strong group. We get together four or five times each year together, and sometimes if people can't be there, then they virtually come in through some other aspect. Those meetings are critical to being able to have such a strong committee right. to support the ongoing aspect. So we're lucky to be able to have funding that comes from this conference and um, the support of uh, our state organization, CAPER, to be able to continue being able to get the state council together on a regular basis. That's key to keeping it strong. I'd say another thing that's really key is getting, uh, you know, young, new blood, you know, rotating people into the council. And uh, I get excited, like, brought a number of university, my university students to the to here and that'll have a huge impact on them and will some of them be future leaders will some of them step up you know to um, provide leadership and I have one other question uh, and then I'll ask if anyone else has any questions but like so we have you know three uh, great leaders in the state of California and you've been here for some time 
has the conference, how has the conference and NAPAC and SCAPE influenced and impacted you as a professional, as these experts in our field? This is my family. I mean, I don't know as many people as I used to when I was younger, but you come together and you feel the support, and as Kathy talked about, being energized, but you feel a sense of cohesion, a sense of family and support. And if indeed people were having trouble it, or need an idea, you could reach out to somebody and talk to that person. So this conference allows people to get together and to network. I know I attended my first as a student and was hooked from that time forward, did my volunteer hours as I was supposed to so I could attend the conference for cheap. <laughs> um, and uh, yes, from then on, I think I've missed five uh, uh, NAPEX through my teaching career and some of it was, you know, young kids and other random things, but most of the time just because of the counties that I worked for and currently I'm not uh, in a position to seek funding to travel for conferences. So most of the time, at least 80% of my conferences have come out of pocket, but because of everything that you mentioned, it's worth it for me every single time and I'll always return. Um. So what I'd like to share, maybe just indulge me for a minute. So I, I came to the conference, my first conference was in 1984, and I'd been in adaptive PE probably eight years uh, prior to that. And I'd done adaptive PE in three different states. And every state I was in, like New Mexico or Kansas or Illinois, you could put everybody in adaptive PE in a room. Uh, they might, you know, Maybe there'd be 25 people. And so in 1984, my wife and I were invited and we were doing like, this was before it was called collaboration or even interdisciplinary teaching. We were doing like what's called active learning games where we would share movement activities to promote learning. And we come to the University of Pacific. It's Halloween weekend. It's a gorgeous day. If you've ever been on the University of Pacific campus, it's like a brick campus. It almost looks like an Ivy League school. And... Um, I go there to the conference, and they have this big gymnasium, and it's it's open, and 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 we go in, and there's hundreds of people in adaptive PE, and you know I've been doing adaptive PE for for eight years, and I've never been that close to that many people, and I met Joni. Joni, if I remember correctly, you were like the state council on adaptive PE chair, and I'm talking to her, and this is hot stuff. Joni's like coming up with this idea where we're going to take the names of everybody in the state and put them on a spreadsheet, right, so that we can all network, you know, that's, you know. And um, it was just a, a great weekend, and we're flying home, and I look at my wife and I says, I don't know how or why, but I am going to be teaching in the Cal State University system. I want to be in California. I want to train teachers. I says, I want to, this conference, this is where AP is happening. And so I look forward to this conference every year, um, just on so many levels. The the level of from for me for professional development, but the level that I can bring my university students. I can't teach them what it's like to attend a conference. I can show them a couple of short videos. I can say you're going to get um, you know extra credit, but I says you've got to attend this conference to experience this, and hopefully they'll get hooked like all of us are. And, and for me, 
it's like every year I see people like Kim Morton and Kathy Emoto, and they're the professor, they're the people out in the trenches and doing it, you know. And a lot of us are retiring and getting close to retiring, and so we, you know, this is just a wonderful, wonderful conference. Yeah. All right. With that note, let's say thank you first to the panelists. Give everyone a round of applause. Yeah. All right. I want to know. Um, does anyone have any questions or comments that they would like for the panel to talk about the conference, escape, comments? Kim Morton retired. Been to most every, almost every conference since I started teaching adaptive PE. I'm not the last couple since I've been retired. Um, I just want to say that I think that if you look at the history, one of the things that's really important is to think about the really great leadership this conference started with. Some really great decisions were made at the inception about um, being together, about collaborating, the way that the state council is set up with the past chair, the chair, and the chair-elect provides a continuity throughout and ensures that the next group of people get trained you know, and, and have the access to everything that has gone on before. Um, along with just, you know, having people who are so dedicated as leaders is really an important part of it. All right, thank you. Uh, does anyone else have any questions? I have, how about Dr. Rizzo? Uh, your name came up about 12 <laughs> times during that conversation. What, do you have any general Some of it comments? was even good, right? Some of that, yeah, some of the times comments? his name came up, it was sort of good. <laughs> yeah, here, do you have any general comments about our conversation about the conference. Hey, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, thank you all for this, and more importantly, everybody here, the contributions you've made uh, to the state, but um, more importantly, and this is what I would suggest, the country, and to some extent, uh, North, certainly North America, because um, say what you will, uh, a lot of what we do in California has a generalizable effect across the country, whether it's our research, our activities, our, our credential. Uh, we're not the West Coast, we're the best coast. And it, <laughs> no, no. It's okay, it's okay. What we do goes eastward, and what we do is what you do. And I'm just, if I was religious, I would say blessed to work with you all, uh, but what you do is uh, really cutting edge in many ways. Um, so keep up the good work, uh, keep up the significance, uh, but we do need to branch out, and we do need to bring in our academic relatives from all over the country, and I would suggest North America and Canada because uh, they're doing some good things, and they really admire all the work you do here. So thank you for this chance, uh, and keep up the good work, Scott. Thank you. All right, other thoughts, other comments? Hello. Hi. Um, my name's Nicole Lombardi Racine, and Greg is kind of our go-to um, council member for SoCal. And I know uh, Dr. Rizzo, we reach out like in emails, and I um, try to keep in the lower Southern Cal, uh, Southern Southwest APE. There's about a hundred of us down, and we meet three times a year to uh, talk about um, things in the area and um, what's going on, hot topics. Um, we used to be part of Region 10, but we kind of got divorced, um, and uh, we still continue on. So I don't know how, like, other than Greg, who is here, to um, he keeps in contact, but um, we just recently held an Orange County 
um, with their SELPA, we did a workshop using like how to defendable report. Um, we've also held, um, let's see, um, Temecula, I'm from Temecula, so we held one year too. But I know um, down here in Southwest AP, we do try to um, keep the word and keep us strong so that if anything is going on in the area, we can squash it, we can collaborate, we can um, work together and refer back to the AP guidelines or, or just figure out another way to, um, to bridge the gap, whether it's for PE and APE. But mm -hmm. um, I know I, I Katie, Heidi Loom also helps um, with the, the generation of the um, emails so that we can um, continue to keep in contact. And I, I would love to have more of the um, future um, students also attend. And I know we do a lot of Fridays. Mm -hmm. So, but that's us out here and that we, we still still try to stay connected. So. Sure. Um, I, I think, you know, along those lines, because I know that I'm aware because of Southern California Facebook page, you know, an adaptive P, knowing that, that you have that professional development a few weeks ago. But I, I think, you know, when we talk about the future, social media and the way that we can connect very quickly, like social media can be positive, it can be negative, and, um, but it's a really quick way for, for a lot of us to be connected, especially in isolated rural areas where you can feel that connection. And I, and I wonder what the future for this conference might be where some of it is being streamed in or that everybody could be listening to this and many of the podcast and actually your, your workshop did some streaming, right? And I want to say I think technology is awesome and streaming is great, but I think by not being physically right. at these conferences to make the touch time with the people, to meet the people and renew it over the years and become friends, we would be missing out on a lot. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's one thing that this conference does well, is it connects people, it introduces people to people, and for years you continue to be part of the physical touch. And that's what we do with our students, is the physical touch time. Yeah, I'll touch on that a little bit, because um, I, I think with all this online things that we've been doing, I think trying to say that online is a replacement is not the way that we should be talking about podcasts, social learning, um, or, or social media, all those things. I think it's a supplementary thing that we can use while we're driving, we can use in the meantime, because there's really, if you look at the research, it's not very strong to say that online learning is you know, equivalent whatsoever. So we really need to focus on, on that, these things like face-to-face -face learning and that traditional style. I would like to agree with uh, Dr. Scott McNamara, pardon me. Um, I'm a member of the council, and I've also done a couple conferences. I was very fortunate enough, 11 years ago, we had people from Hong Kong come to the conference, and I'm still friends with them on Facebook. But my point is, there are people, as has been noted, from around the world who've come to the conference, but they cannot come every year. And to utilize technology to reach out to those people and to maybe make some people who are not even aware of what happens at the conference, it's a way of reaching out. It's never going to relate or replace the personal things that we get from coming to the conference. No way. But it's opening the door 
to future connections. And I also want to applaud Dr. Barry LeVay for talking about bringing future professionals. We really need to develop that culture of getting students. And I would think uh, I'm teaching a, an introduction to adaptive e-class at CSU Stan. Most of my students are just kinesiology majors going into single subject. But we need to be bringing those students, because if we're shifting towards inclusion, who best would be served from coming to our conference? Before we, we close, I'd just like to say to anyone listening to this podcast, if you're interested in coming to one of our conferences, go to the CAPERD website. So that's C-A-H-P-E-R-D dot org. And typically this conference is held in November. And um, you'll just see it on the website and have a way to um, register and come out and I, I think maybe on future um, registration forms, I'm going to ask the council to think about maybe having a box to check. I'm out of state, and I'd like to attend a session that we can discuss how we can get things going in our state or something, something like that so we can look to see if there would be a need in, in bringing some people together from out of state. So I thank you so much, yeah, Scott, absolutely. for this opportunity. History is really important to help us identify the future. It would be great to, for us all to do it for the entire field of APE, too. I think it's something that is a need. All right, thank you all so much, and thank you so much for being here the whole time. And All right, thank you, thank you, thank you. All right, as always, thank you so much for listening in to What's New in Adaptive Physical Education. Uh, I think that was a great podcast. We probably won't have another live conference one for a while. Um, I will be recording a few in the next few weeks. I have one with Lakeshore Foundation and another one with my students that were in my APE practicum. We're going to hear about their experiences from a student perspective, and I'm really excited about that. I also have a few things about the history of APE again on the back burner that I'm really trying to get revved up. So please uh, keep listening and email me if you have any ideas for some future episodes. Take care and thank you very much for listening.